Again, it's so wonderful to see everyone here tonight. We're so thankful for your presence and those that are visiting with us. Just a quick announcement. Uh, we're asking uh, prayers for some of our past members. You remember Harm and Anita Wilder. Well, Anita fell and she's having to have knee surgery on the 29th. And Harm is just having extreme leg pain. Harm has uh, uh, had many health problems throughout the years. And so we uh, ask you to keep him and, and Anita in your prayers that they'll be healed. The wife and mother in our home has learned this lesson wonderfully well. And we learn from her as well. It's not about me. It's not about me. With children, it takes a while for them to learn this lesson. And it takes a lot of time for husbands and even fathers to be able to learn this as well. But I'm thankful that we have one in our household who is selfless, who looks after us, cares for us, and we can depend upon her in that way. Perhaps at least in our home, she is the most Christ-like, though she might be embarrassed for me to even say that. But our Lord Jesus Christ wants to change us from the inside out. That's right. And I'm thankful that we are saved through Jesus' death, through his death, our sins are forgiven. And then after we are saved, then from our past sins, through his death, we then have the privilege or the opportunity of being able to look to his life and saying, now I can learn from that life and I can strive to be more like him. You see, the word Christian means to be Christ-like. And I want to be more like him, and I know that, that you do too, but I fall way short of that every day. And you probably do too, but through his love, through his mercy and kindness, he keeps giving us more and, and more and more opportunities to become more like him. And that's really what he says, while you're here on this earth, let me forgive you of your sins by my death. And then you look to my life, he says, and let me shape you from the inside out that you may be transformed, as Paul says there in Romans 12, 1 and 2, which was just read just a few moments ago by Brother Max. Transformed in the mind. Not just allowing the things of the earth to mold us and to shape us, but by things that are above. And so really, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. And 1 Corinthians 13 has the heart in mind. More than anything else, God is interested in changing us to be more like His Son, And I really believe that. I think that he has provided us, Christ Jesus on the cross, to be able to keep us out of that horrible place called hell. And likewise, that he wants us to go to heaven to be with him and his dear son. Now, we're studying some great chapters of the Bible, like 1 Corinthians 13. 
And that's what we're doing right now. And just for a few moments this evening, we want to consider that marvelous chapter where we read about love, and that is agape love, the God-like love. So if you have your Bibles, open them to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, because it's very, very true that there are a lot of problems today associated with relationships, whether it be in the home, whether it be in the church, or just with friends and relationships in general, relationships in school or relationships at work, in the workplace. And what happens, what helps us to be a better friend or a better family member or a better brother and sister in Christ is understanding about what we're talking about here in this series tonight because the primary reason there are problems with these relationships is because of something called selfishness selfishness and of course the opposite of that is selflessness not to be confused that is emptying self and being mindful that there are other people around you and me as well, and being considerate of them as well. Selflessness, again, as I have said to you before, not thinking lowly of self, not thinking less of self, but thinking of selfless. Just not thinking about getting your way all the time, and neither am I. Jesus taught us this very important principle in John chapter 13, just shortly before his death. Wouldn't you think that Jesus himself would be primarily thinking about himself? And he did have the cross on his mind. But we find Jesus still very much interested in his beloved disciples of that day. And so it is as he comes upon that scene in that upper room, no slave is there and to do what needs to be done. And then he begins to wash the disciples' feet. Dirty feet. He takes it upon himself. He humbles himself to do what they wouldn't do. But yet his son, Jesus, God's son, is the one who's about to die for the sins of the world, but he's the one that does it. When he does something, he says, you go and you do likewise. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed, Lord, if there be some other way. But there was no other way. And so he emptied himself, Philippians 2, 5 and following, that he was obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Now love says, love says, it's not just about me. It's not just about me. And the best time that we can learn that lesson is early in life. It takes a very long time to, for many of us to learn this valuable lesson. But if we don't learn this early in life, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be striving throughout your life to get ahead of others. And ambition can be a wonderful thing. But you're always, will find yourself most likely falling, right? Falling just short of what others can do. And it's going to make you miserable. It's going to make you miserable. You're out here trying to get ahead of everybody else, but you never can seem to do it 
by any means. Quit trying to get ahead of the Jones family. They're broke too. You see? You remember that commercial of the guy that's riding his lawnmower? Real nice lawnmower, you know, he's riding around in his yard. And he says, I'm up to here in debt. I might have the nice car, I might have the nice house, I might have the nice lawnmower, but I'm up to debt in there. Quit trying to get ahead of the ones who are more in debt than you are. But that's just it. We're trying to empty in ourselves, and that's why we become miserable. So how many today are really trying to make sure others understand about their rights instead of asking, what are my responsibilities? You see, they're more concerned, what is their rights? I ask the question, what is your responsibility? That's more important. A person who learns to love, as defined here in 1 Corinthians 13, the very great love chapter, will be asking, what about my responsibilities? What does love demand of me? Now, look at 1 Corinthians 13, look at verse 5. Love doth not behave itself unseemly. Love seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked. Love thinketh no evil. I know I added that word love in between those things, but that's exactly what he's saying. That's exactly what he's saying. That's our sermon for this hour. Now, first of all, love is able to conquer a lot of things in life. And I want you to keep this in mind as we study this in the next few moments. What is it that love will conquer? Number one, it conquers rudeness. Look at verse 5. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Some translations read as follows. Love is not rude. It behaves itself properly. How about that? Have you ever read George Washington's rules of etiquette? And I found them to be strikingly important for individuals in everyday conversation of life. But Washington's rules for living, for etiquette, are just rules of how to behave oneself in the presence of other people. It's interesting. Look it up. You, you can get a book as well, but you'd be amazed if you were to go back and read these rules of etiquette, of how far away we find ourselves from those principles, even today, just with regard to how we treat one another. Did you know that in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 2, it says this of the elder, that he is to be a man of good behavior. What does that mean? A man of good behavior. Well, he is to be a man who is polite, a man who is courteous, a man who's in control of himself. Himself. A man who's not rude, a man who is of good behavior, of good decorum. He understands people and he treats people fair and right. And so of the brotherhood, we learn in 1 Peter 3 and verse 8 that we are to be courteous people. Love the brethren, be courteous. So how does this love in 1 Corinthians 13 behave? Well, first of all, it behaves 
mannerly. I'm not sure that in my generation that we really taught good manners to our children as, as we should have done. But good upbringing means being talked about manners. I sometimes hear children speaking to adults in a very disrespectful way. Kind of way, I don't know. That means it needs to be corrected first and foremost in the home, doesn't it? And that needs to be corrected first and foremost, not only in the home, but also in the church as well, because I'm hearing it even around the church in some cases. We are blessed with so much today of how we can teach courtesy and politeness and the importance of being appreciated. Yet, how often are we appreciated? Not just to the God of heaven, but to those around us, those who have been mindful of us and want to help us. Now, you have heard it said that two words that will open any door with ease, one is thank you and the other is please, right? Very much. Just to incorporate those words like that into our vocabulary will help us to be a more loving people, a mannerly people. Behaving mannerly means not only addressing others properly, but it also means that I have come in contact with others and that I try to have a warm, pleasing personality. Friendliness. That's it. Friendliness. Proverbs 18.24, expressing appreciation, kindness, which means what? It is love in the little things. Oh, we think that they had to make such a big thing about it. No, it's love in the little things that matters the most. Do you remember the, the man who, along with the nine others that were healed by Jesus in Luke 17? He came back to do what? He came back to thank Jesus. Jesus said, well, wait a minute. Where's the other nine? They were healed just like you. He says, I don't know about them, but I know what I need to do. And I thank you, Jesus. To express his thanks. He was the only one. But he wanted to give thanks to the Lord because the Lord deserved that. He was given a great gift. And he wanted to express his appreciation for it. He behaves mannerly. And that's what love does. Number two, it also behaves orderly. Have you ever said that I just like the way that that gentleman conducts himself or carries himself? The same may be even true about a, a lady, the way that she conducts or carries herself with such fine decorum. In Psalm 37, in verse 23, it says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. In the light of God's word, this individual walks as he trusts and obeys, Right? And so he wants to evaluate the life of the Lord and he says, here's my opportunity. Here's my opportunity to emulate him. And so this love that we're talking about is not rude and therefore it behaves mannerly. It's not rude and therefore it behaves orderly. And it behaves also conservatively. 
By that I mean simply that we are not in the business of shocking people. We're not in the business of shocking people. I have known some people that if you did not shock people by their appearance or other ways, they were probably greatly disappointed, <laughs> right? I mean, I'm telling you. But the Bible tells us not to do that. It tells us not to do that. You see, loud, boisterous acts are not proper. They're not fitting for the one who loves as what 1 Corinthians 13 teaches. We are interested in walking about with a quiet manner. And this dictates our appearance as well. But that's what modest dress is all about, isn't it? Not calling undue attention to ourselves. But then not only does love behave manually and orderly and conservatively, we see another aspect of love in this passage. That love indeed is not rude, but love conquers something else. It conquers self. Self. What did Paul write? He said, love seeketh not his own. Isn't that what it says there in verse 5? Love seeketh not its own. That brings Philippians 2.4 into play. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others, you see. There are just some people, I guess, that look at that verse and say, we do what? <laughs> we do what? They would, they would take it out of context. And boy, am I interested in the things of others, right? He's not talking about being nosy. He's not talking about being nosy. But he's talking about having an interest and a concern for other people. And along with that comes a desire to help. In Romans 12 and verse 10, it says, Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. Right? It means I would really would rather somebody else go first. That's where Christianity is a lot different from all the other religions of men or simply from the way that most people behave. I, I believe I told you the story about the two boys who always wanted to get the first pancake. And boy, when they, they every morning they would run downstairs and they would cry out, I, I get the first one, I get the first one. You know, they, she decided that she's going to teach him a lesson this time. Oh, mom, you know, she's going to teach him a lesson. She said, all right, we need to be more like Jesus around here. We need to be a little more like Jesus. Next week, I want you to do this. I want you to remember what Jesus would do and that he is, would be interested in somebody else going first. I want you to remember that. So the boys came running downstairs the next week, and the oldest says, I want the first one. The second one says, I want the first one. I told you you were not going to do this anymore. I told you we need to be more like Jesus. I want you to answer just how Jesus would answer, and that is you go first. Let's follow him. And the older brother said to the younger brother, he says, uh, he, he, he says why don't you play Jesus this time? And tell me to go first, right? Yeah. You be Jesus. That's how oftentimes we behave, isn't it? You go first, Jesus says. And I like that about Jesus. But if we could incorporate that into our lives every day, letting somebody else to go first, it's always easy. I think that 
This is where Christianity rises above all the other religions and the philosophical ideas. But it's what gives us the toughest times as Christians. The toughest time that we have as Christians is trying to find the power and the resolve to change those areas of our lives. Why is that? Because it's the root of humanity's problem. You see, there was something very appealing to Eve when in the garden that Satan said, ye shall be as gods. We were talking a little bit about that this morning in our Bible class. But you, you shall be as gods. You can make your own decisions. You can go first. But so it is a problem that is rooted def- deeply in selfishness. And it goes all the way back to the very beginning of time. We even find in the early church a fellow named Diotrephes. And he wanted what? Well, he wanted preeminence according to 3 John 1, 9. He wanted to be first. Either it's his way or the highway type of attitude that he had. And it causes a lot of problems. It causes a lot of problems and that kind of behavior was condemned. You see, love demands that I stop thinking about me and I focus on somebody else. Selflessness, right? Galatians 6, verses 1 through 3, there we're told to bear one another's burdens. But first of all, it says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one. In the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted, but bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he's nothing... He deceiveth himself. It's not about me, you see. It's not about me. And we are to bear one another's burdens. So it is when I quit thinking just about my own needs, I might find out that maybe somebody else would like it as well, and we can enjoy it together. Right? I might be the one who takes the initiative. I realize that love will do that. Love conquers selfishness it con- along with rudeness, but love conquers something else there in that verse. It conquers a bad temper. Notice, he says, love is not easily provoked. Not easily provoked. Wow, that sometimes hits us just right in the middle of our forehead sometimes, doesn't it? I mean, love is not easily provoked, but it does not get angry quickly. Have you ever been around somebody where it's like walking on eggshells? I mean, I'm going to say something or do something wrong, and boy, they're going to just lay me out. They're going to let me have it. I mean, just anything you would say to that person would probably just set that person off. It's like as if they got that little chip on their shoulder and they're just daring you to knock it off. You have to be very careful what you have to say around that individual. Well, what's wrong there? What's wrong there? Love is not filling the heart of that person because love is not easily provoked. 
Proverbs 29 and verse 22 says this, An angry man stirreth up strife, and a furious man aboundeth in transgression. An irate temper is, can be very harmful. But what happens? Well, physically, something can happen to a person. That person who has no control over his own temperament, the writer of Proverbs says, is like one, one of those ancient cities that's big, but the walls have come down. Just when they thought that they had it all made, the walls come down and he has no control over self and he has no control over his temperament. And therefore the face turns red, the voice is raised, the blood pressure rises. You can even see it in their face. It turns so red and the, the veins are popping out in their forehead. And you're just, well, he's about to bust. He's about to bust. People around you are scared. This anger can be like a volcanic eruption. Listen to Ephesians chapter 4, and that's exactly what Paul says will happen. He says in verse 31 of Ephesians 4, he says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Just study those words listed there. There's a building up there. That, that bitterness starts where? Well, way down deep inside. Starts way down deep inside. A little spark way down there in the bottom of that volcano just waiting to, to erupt in time. Because eventually that bitterness will lead to what? Wrath. Wrath is just anger that is seething on the inside. And then all of a sudden anger, that's when it explodes. That's when it explodes. Bitterness, wrath, anger, and all kinds of consequences go along with that. If that's my problem. I need to get into some serious study and learn to discipline myself carefully to overcome that because love and hatred and bitterness cannot exist in the same heart. It just can't. James 1.19 says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. That's it. Here's what James is talking about. Tone down Tune in and sweeten up. That's it. Tone down, tune in, and sweeten up. Be swift to hear, slow to speak, and very slow to wrath. When the love of God fills the soul, it takes a lot to upset that person. Jesus had to work with his disciples on that, and so he has to work with you and me on that as well. You might remember there in Samaria in Luke 9, 51 through 56, that there were those who were indifferent towards Jesus, all because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. And his disciples became so angry. Let's, let's just bring down fire upon heaven, or, or from heaven upon them. That's not what we're about. You see, they were more, well, we just need to bring fire upon those people. That's not what we're about. There in the garden, in John 18, you remember, Peter had already said, Lord, I'll stand with you. I'll even die for you. 
And then he wanted to prove himself. And just when he proved himself by cutting off the ear of Malchus, what happened? Well, Jesus puts it back on and said, put your sword up. That's not what we're about. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 4. Let's look at Romans chapter 12. You know, it would be good for us to read this on occasion, on a daily basis actually. For it would help us in our everyday life. In Romans chapter 12, look at verse 18. He says, if it be possible as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with what? All men, right? Avenge, dearly beloved, avenge not yourself, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, what? Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. He's the only one qualified. He's the only one justified that knows how to pay. Look at verse 20. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heat coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. We say it sometimes like this. Kill him with kindness, right? Overcome evil with good. It was Chrysostom who said, As a spark which falls into the sea, hurts not the sea, but is itself extinguished. So an evil thing befall the loving soul, and it will soon be extinguished without disquietude. Love conquers something else as well. It conquers suspicions. What does the text say there in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5? Love thinketh no evil. That's right. That is, I'm not judging other people of what they're doing as if there's something against me. Have you ever been around people like that? Who is always suspicious of somebody else? I mean, somebody that might say something and another person will say, no, I really wonder what he meant by that. I mean, that's just, that's just crazy. I wonder what he meant. Then they start dwelling on it a while. Next thing you know, They've got it all out of, out of Hilder Kilder, right? They, they, they think, I know what he meant by that. He was cutting him down. That person was disrespectful. I know exactly what he meant by that. When the person who had said it never had that idea at all in his thoughts. Meant no harm whatsoever. You concocted it in your own mind. Why? Suspiciousness. Suspiciousness. Charging somebody with a wrongdoing without having all the facts. You know, they, they always say there's, a, there's always three ways to understand. There's, there is the, the uh, right way, the wrong way, and God's way. And there's the truth and uh, the lie. And, well, I don't know. I've done got it all messed up. Huh? But the point is, is that... We are not to charge evil motives to the actions of somebody else, right? Evil intentions, questioning individuals just because you are suspicious of them. 
Have you ever been around those who are trying to find something wrong with what the man is saying or doing? Loving people don't do that. And Paul warns here in 1 Corinthians 13, no, in 1 Corinthians 1 Timothy 6 and verse 4 about the danger of getting involved with evil surmisings. He said that's the kind of judging Jesus is talking about in Matthew 7, 1 when he says, judge not that you be not judged. You see, what he's, what he's talking about there is hypocritical judging with a censorious judgment. That cannot happen from a heart that has to learn to love, right? What did Paul say? He says in 1 Corinthians 13, love thinketh no evil. It does not keep a record of wrongs. <coughs> Somebody who just sits back and says, well, I'm taking account. I have known some individuals who do that. I mean, they're just, they're just like writing it down. Well, that, that guy can't do nothing right. Quietly, they become upset with another, and everything that that person does begins to be a mistake, begins to be a wrong. They start writing it down. They start thinking about it all the time. The other person doesn't even know it. And eventually, before too long, that person begins to go behind the back of that individual. And he says all kinds of evil things about that person. And the list just keeps growing and growing and growing. But a loving heart does not do that. A loving heart doesn't do that. Doesn't keep a record of wrongs. You see, our Lord does not do that. Aren't you glad that he doesn't do that? Oh, man. You've seen the pictures of Satan's, I mean, Santa's list of good and bad people. And this goes, that's probably me. But isn't it wonderful to know that when he forgives, he forgets? He forgets completely. Never to be brought to our attention again. Never keeping a record of wrongs. I, I like the story about the man who was bitten by a, a rabid dog and, and there was no way to cure him. And, and so he was in the hospital and the doctor says, you know, you've been bitten by a rabid dog and, and we have no cure for you here. You're, you're going to die. And, and so I would suggest that you get your affairs in order. And so the doctor left and he came back a, a little bit later and the man was furiously writing on a sheet of paper and the doctor said, well, I'm certainly glad that you're starting to get your affairs in order. And he says, the man says, I'm not getting my affairs in order. I'm just writing down all the people that I want to bite before I die. <laughs> yeah, getting somebody back, you see. And so it is when we talk about getting a person back, most people, if they have that mentality, want to hurt another more than they would hurt themselves. But love is not interested in thinking evil about another. Proverbs 19.11 says, The discretion of a man deferreth his anger, and it is glory to pass over a transgression. Isn't it good to look over transgression to even... It's better not to make a transgression where one has not occurred. That's right. If indeed I should look over my transgressions against me, I for sure better not make one. That's, that's not real. Not everybody and their friends, not everybody is out to get you. 
Not, by, not everybody. But most people are on your side, though. And most people love you, those at least in your inner circle and are around you. But from a heart of love, understand that you can be trustful of other people because love conquers suspicion. Right? It's not about me. Who displayed that more than anybody else? Well, the Lord that we honor. It's not about him. He was always out for the, he was always doing whatever he can for the other person in every way. The Lord that we honor, he always did that all the way to the cross. And he wants to change you and me from the inside out. From the inside out. Will you let him do that? Will you let him do that? It begins with the submission to his divine will. It begins with your simple obedience to his message to understand that he came to this earth to live and to die for you. Very personal. For me. Will you be willing to say that I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? That I'll be willing to go down into the waters of baptism to have those sins washed away, Acts twenty two sixteen. They had the remission of sins, Acts 2.38. To then be added to the Lord's church, Acts 2.47. To then to be able to rise up from that watery grave to say, I am a child of God now. And I understand the agape love now. And that it does not behave itself unseemly. It thinketh not his own. It's not rude. It thinketh no evil and all that. To be able to live a life knowing that if I continue faithfully in the Lord's way, heaven will be my home. If you understand that and are willing to make those necessary changes, I hope that you will, even this evening. You might be here as a child of God. And after obeying the gospel, you've wandered away, went back to the world of sin. Come back. Be right with God once again by repentance and prayer. Can we help you in any way? Won't you come as together we stand and sing?